We are in Champions League, man. That was my Dilly din, dilly dong, come on. I will love it if we beat them. Love it. This is the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast with Gary Kearney. Hello, welcome to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. My name is Gary Kernin. Joining me for this episode is Peter Ramage. Peter has played at Newcastle United in the Premier League for four years. He's also played at QPR, Crystal Palace, Birmingham, had spells in India and in the US with Phoenix Raisin, where he is now an assistant coach. So this is part of the Coaching Corner series where we take one aspect of the game, look specifically at it into depth and detail for 30 minutes max. It's part of the promotion for my new book, Coaching Your 433, which is designed to challenge coaches to take a closer look at their own beliefs on the game and then structure their system alongside that and the qualities of their players. We talk a lot about things like creativity, decision-making, risk-taking with regards to our players, but I believe they should apply to coaches as well. So there's plenty of sessions, ideas, and I also share my own personal experience on aspects of the game that I've come across and been inspired by over the past five years. The book is available now on modernsoccercoach.com. It ships worldwide and we have fast delivery in the United States and the UK as well. So we'd love to hear what you think about it. And thanks to everyone who has ordered it already. It should be arriving in the next day or two. So for this one with Peter, our subject is central defending. So we talk about Peter's background in the game, what inspired him to be a centre-back, and then the work that went into Newcastle United's academy in that area, what went into the individual work as well. We talk about playing in the Premier League, what did that require more of from a defensive aspect. We also compare the US to England. And then, of course, we talk about coaching, what he believes in, where areas that he wants to strengthen, areas that he thinks youth coaches should be strengthening from centre-back. So really, really enjoyed this here. Peter's different class and he's so passionate about this area of the game. I think you're going to get an awful lot from it. So as always, we'd love to hear your thoughts at Gary Kernin on Twitter, also on Instagram at Gary Kernin as well. Let me know what you think. Thanks for listening to the podcast. Here's Peter. Enjoy. Peter, thanks so much for joining me today for the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. Excited to have you on. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. What is talk about central defending and, and back fours? Obviously, as an Irishman, when I when someone says central defender and back four, I think of the physicality of it. Yeah. Um, how much of your approach or how much of your education growing up was your dad had a background in rugby? Did yeah. You, did you hear, don't be soft throughout your childhood <laughs> years ringing? Yeah, it was kind of like that was a you know I always came through the um, kind of the old school where we were or the, the 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 end of the old school really I suppose you could say where you had to be big, strong and tend to be ugly centre offs you know it was one of those modes. My dad really didn't he didn't really he didn't really push me into the rugby side of things. It was all football and I was always a big. I mean, our kid went into Newcastle as a centre forward. And I literally had to learn my education as I was going on. So to become a centre off, I, I didn't have any, I didn't have any knowledge of it when I went into the game. And then, you know, as the years went on, you start to realise that you do have to be a little bit bigger, you do have to be a little bit stronger. But what I found was that 
you know, because I because I basically played as a as a centre forward all my all my childhood career, I kind of had a a little bit of knowledge on centre forwards. So you kind of observe runs, observe what they're doing, and so I was whilst I was you know trying to work on that as big component of my game was trying to get bigger and stronger. Um, it wasn't probably my strongest attribute. It was more reading of the game, which you know now we're seeing centre offs likes of John Stones and, uh, you know, I'm looking at the Porter of Man City, just using them as an example. So I wouldn't class them as big, you know, physical centre-offs. Likes of Vincent Company, who's, you know, seem, seems to be slowly trans uh, transitioned out of the, the City starting lineup, and, you know, replaced by guys who are, are technically gifted and, uh, and to use a term, they're actually footballers and not centre-offs. Going into that Newcastle Academy, you worked with Alan Irvine, who's got... Yeah. Really, really good reputation. Curious how much of his work with you was intentional with the back four? Or were there certain principles that were ingrained with you at that early age? Yeah, I mean, he was he was still, to, for me, the best footballing coach I've ever worked with. Um, his attention to detail on every aspect from a team and an individual point of view. I mean, uh, he was. we were under-17s and under-19s when, uh, when I was working with him, so it was... You know, kind of a, a throwback to it was an it was an education, and he made sure that every, each and every single one of us got that. And so, from a defending point of view, we used to have individual days where he would, you know, work as with our units. Um, it usually generally was a Tuesday afternoon, and he normally took the midfielders and the attackers. Is that what he was? And we had Kenny Wharton back then, who was, you know, the under 19s coach, but a defender himself. And but when Alan when Alan was, you know, coaching us as a team, it was a, you know, defend first, never play a square pass. Um, but he really was big on us trying to play. Um, his mantra was that I'm not producing a centre half, I'm producing a footballer to try and have a career in the game. You know, there was one lad who I played with, um, who you might know, Bradley Orr, was a centre midfield player uh, coming through the ranks at Newcastle United, but made his career at Bristol City at QPR and Blackburn as a, as a right-back. And that was because of the education that we got um, and, and Brad got. He was able to play in a number of positions. And that was down to, the, like I said, the attention to detail of Al Nervine. Um, and he's trying to produce footballers who could you know, play in any position because at the end of the day, we're not all going to come through the ranks at Newcastle United or Manchester United or Man City. You know, Guys are going to leave and go elsewhere. So... He was he was yes he did try and you know work individually on a position 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 specific. He was very much trying to produce footballers too. Did you supplement that work with gym work as well and get yeah yeah hundred percent. I mean it was um, again the days were we had days where we were doing double sessions. In fact, almost every day was a double session. Even on you know like I think maybe just a Friday before the game. Uh, the day before the game was the only day where we didn't really do double sessions um, but yeah it was a lot was you know fitness based but again it wasn't just going in and lifting uh, to use a firm over here like American football to become like American footballers it was or rugby players it was you know again position specific like for me yeah sometimes it was days where I was you know trying to lift a barn door and, and things like that but then there was other days when I was trying to work on my agility because you know you come up against a big or a small nippy centre forward Sometimes brute strength isn't the way forward to, to combat that. You have to be able to uh, kind of defend properly. So 
fitness was a big component of it, but again, it wasn't just uh, gym work. It was, you know, there was other different parts to it um, that enabled us to be out to be at our maximum or optimum levels when it came to game day. Fascinated by the environment in England, those academies, because of your, you know, you've almost got a role model built in. Newcastle, not necessarily known for their centre backs, more their number nines. Was there someone in the in the senior team that you you latched onto and and looked to learn from? Yeah, I mean, there was there was three guys um, for me who who I looked up to. Um, one guy who uh, I mean. Irish boy Aaron Hughes, um, he was he was best mates with a, guy, a lad who I grew up with, so I kind of knew him. But he's just he, I seen myself in him in a way that he was versatile. He played he played right back, left back, centre half. I mean, even Bobby Robson even played him in the middle of the park. But what stood out for me was that he was he was schooled into being a footballer. That again, like I said about Al Nervine he was a footballer that was able to play in a number of positions. So I, and I was, and as I was coming through the ranks at Newcastle, I would find myself going down a similar path where, you know, there was games where I was playing right back. There was games where I was playing, you know, left side of a three at the back. There was games where I was playing, you know, I wasn't getting pigeonholed into a, in a position. And, and I kind of watched and learned from Aaron because of that. He was, he was, a brilliant a brilliant role model for me and, and above it all he was a great guy off the pitch he was always there when you know even in the academy he was always there to to speak to you and give you advice and then when I went into the first team he was one of the first people to kind of take me under his wing and then the two others were the Caldwell brothers Gary and Stevie who I just thought were unbelievable defenders you know throwbacks two proper centre-offs um, but both could play as well I mean, Gary was a, both were great on the ball, but Gary, I thought, was a little bit better. Um, but Stevie, again, broke through the first team. And for us, academy players, it was great to see at that time, like so Stevie coming through and going in and playing a number of games in the first team. Gary going, you know, unfortunately didn't work for him at Newcastle, but he left and went to Hibs and then went to Celtic and ended up playing in the Champions League and captain his country and, and things like that. So for us and for me personally, to see guys who I've worked with on a daily basis go through in the system and then become professional, you know, professional footballers at the top level. You know, they were they were guys for me, um, above the the superstars that, that you know, that were in the in the game at the time. Because I, I felt there was a uh, a bit of a bond between the two or between the three of us there. Going back to the physicality piece, looking at your your playing and who you played for, it got got me thinking does the manager that you play for help drive home aggressiveness or competitiveness simply by the way they view the game or what they value? And and looking particularly at Graham Souness. Yeah, I mean, so that was the thing. Well, I I came through as a centre off, but then made my debut right back and played predominantly on my games with Graham Souness at right back. So, and he wanted me to be able to have the athleticism to go up and down the park more than the physicality because in front of me was Norberto Solano who was probably one of the best players I've ever played with but couldn't run. You know, give him the ball at his feet and he could put it wherever you wanted. Um, so his big component for me was athleticism and endurance. So I had to, you know, learn to a different part of the game in respects that I had to become a wing-back almost and be able to attack when Nobby came inside but also when Nobby gave the ball away, I had to get get my backside back and back into position at right back. So 
the physicality side of things kind of changed. And then, you know, when he left and Graham, uh, sorry, Glenn Roder took over, I moved sort of more inside to play centre-half with Stephen Taylor. And then I had to get back into the gym and start to bulk up a little bit more because I was coming up against the likes of Marlon Harewood and, and centre-forwards of that ilk, big, strong, physical players who, who I needed to learn to toughen up. Um, and it was a hard lesson for me to learn because I'd, I'd you know, kind of gone and down one sort of fitness uh, channel and then all of a sudden I'm getting you know, sent on another detour and I had to do it and I had to do it quickly if I was to, you know, stay in the first team. And, you know, unfortunately I did, but then, you know, I, I moved on and, and then that was that was another another story. Your first start for Newcastle, correct me if I'm wrong here, was against United that we in Rudy Yeah, <laughs> yeah it was, yeah. Yeah, it was um that was it, that was an incredible turn of events because we literally had an injury crisis. Uh but all the way during the week, um I wasn't in the side. You know, Graham Sooners was trying a couple of different things, you know, I was I was still a young kid and we're going to we're going to Old Trafford, so you don't want to get your um you don't want to get a, a hiding or anything like that. So it ended up Stephen Carr playing in the middle of the park uh, as like a, a holding six and me playing it right back against Ryan Giggs. And it was um, a daunting challenge. But, you know, I I was on a hiding to nothing in a way. If we got, and the team were as well, we, all, we were on an injury crisis and we got battered. Then it was because of all the injuries. The, you know, the excuses were there for us, but... You know, Darren Ambrose scored early doors, I think it was, and you know we we kind of held on for a bit until, you know, I'd done what Al Nervine told me never to do as a defender and headed back in towards play, headed out. I had, you know, I headed it back in, and you know Wayne Rooney scored that unbelievable volley, which you know if you probably put it in front of him, well, in fact Wayne Rooney would probably stick it in probably five <laughs> or six times out of ten. You know, you're saying he would never won that one a hundred, but it fell to the one guy it didn't want it to fall to on the pitch and. The rest is history, as they say. Making the step up then to the Premier League, what were the most difficult challenges? Was it in the physical end, technical end, mentally, tactically? I would probably say the the mental side of things because it was the first time that was kind of like, well, the mental in terms of, the mental and technical and tactical because you make a mistake and you get punished. You know, I think to the next season, in fact, we went to Old Trafford and I, you know, I played a back pass and put Wayne Rooney in. Uh, Wayne Rooney threw on goal against Shea, and we got beat two 0 And if I had, it was a massive learning curve for me. Was that mistakes? You've got to tr- you can't get away with them at, the, at that level. You get punished. And then the mental side of things was trying not to let mistakes happen, uh, or sorry, affect you. I should say, because it, in fact it was funny because I'd I done that, put Wayne Rooney, Wayne Rooney through on goal was the same day that Steven Gerrard done the same thing at Arsenal and put Thierry Henry. So it was it, it was exactly the same day and we're on the bus on the way back from the, the game and watching it. And, you know, it kind of gave me a little bit of a confidence boost in, in regard that, you know, I'm watching a guy who's arguably one of the best midfield players has ever graced the Premier League do exactly the same as a, a young 21-year-old kid. So, and, and I learned, I had to learn a hard, or I learned a hard lesson that, you know, I can't let these, you know, affect me. It was the start of the time when, you know, kind of social media was coming into play and, and things like that. And I was reading a lot of things about, uh, Ramage is one of the worst players I've seen in a black and white jersey, you know, this and that, as, as every player, you know, probably sees it. And, that, and it hit me hard as well. 
reading comments like that and I had to learn again but this is when like my dad's my dad got a hold of me so from a rugby standpoint and you know I, I spoke to a few rugby players about that kind of thing and um you know if it doesn't it can't let it affect me um and and that was a, a the big learning curve going into the premier league was you know you're you're opening yourself up to a million and one people to, to or a million and one managers who have all got an opinion on you and the only opinion that really counts is that of firstly of your manager and and then secondly of like you know like yourself and your family yeah when when you pinpoint the side of the game so say something like focus or discipline or tactical discipline or concentration when you pinpoint that there and say i need to improve it how do you do that that's just a tough question because I think it's only learn. You, you only learn from your mistakes, or you only learn from your experiences of, of doing that. You know, I just try to stay focused in games. One of the big, my biggest attributes was my communication, and I found that it'd be a, a, a big tool in me staying in the game because, you know, at centre off, you can sometimes if if things are all going well, you can become a you can become a, a, a bystander. And you can be watching things going on and, you know, these guys, these wonderful players in front of you are scoring goals and you're not really involved or they could be missing chance upon chance and the game's close and that one counter-attack and you've got to do your job. So I found, you know, and again, it comes down to watching the Gary and Stevie Caldwell, one of their biggest attributes for me was their communication skills and organising people around you. So, you didn't have to do the work. It was the players that were in front of you that were, were doing it. So staying concentrated in that respect in terms of, you know, organisation was, was a big thing for me and, and a big thing that I took on the rest of my career to, and and, and I tell now my players, my centre-offs, is that, you know, when I come in and we get the stats, the physical stats and things, I, I want to be seeing that you've done the less distance. You've had the least amount of touches on the ball and you've hardly had any aerial challenges or things like that or because you've been concentrated in the game and organising those that are in front of you. On the communication theme then, between 2012-2016, you played with um, a number of different clubs. It, do you think communication is down to, you know, you, you take responsibility for it or how much of it has got to do with the relationship, being comfortable with people you're around? Um, there is that, but it was one of the reasons why managers were bringing me in. Because maybe not because I was as technically gifted as some as some other centre or whatever, but because I could organise things and I found that managers were were almost leaning on me to become. I, I liked I liked I like to think of myself as a leader and um, and I think that's you know when we when we go into and it's something that we're doing here at Phoenix. We're trying to build like a leadership group within the players and and I was always one of the the first to be asked to do so just purely because I. With all due respect, I didn't care for reputations. I didn't care for um, what you'd done in the in the previous. I'm I'm there to try and better myself and and better the team. Um, and if that meant I had to tell you know call a spade a spade, I wasn't going to call it a spoon. You know what I mean? I was I was going to tell it as it is. And um, I, I think that's one of the reasons why I, you know, somebody that wasn't the most technically gifted, but I had a career in the game because I was able to do that. Staying on communication. When you're in those stadiums, and obviously when you when we're watching Premier League games, we don't have access to who's making what noise or how much that noise matters. Was it something that you were aware of whenever you played against bigger teams? You know the other other players, the real Ferdinands that era. Was 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 their communication high as well? 
Yeah, I mean, my career path kind of went the other way. I was going into smaller and smaller stadiums, so all the hear was a big boom and Geordie voice, so it was, uh, <laughs> it was a lot easier to, to shout and ball. But no, I mean, I, like when I went back to Newcastle and done a bit of work, uh, you know, in the academy, and I was fortunate enough to work with the, the 23s, and I'm getting access to the first team and, and watching, you know, training. A big component I found of like Sir Jamal Lascelles and Kieran Clark. Um, watching them, them guys trains, you could hear them on the training pitch, three pitches away, and that's probably because they needed to learn to use their voice because they're playing in front of fifty-two thousand people week in, week out. Um, you know, and at the top level, I watch the game now, and you know, I, you see, although you obviously can't hear, um, you can see, you can, you can kind of pick up traits you know yourself you, when you're watching the game and you're edgy, and you know the what to look for. You can work and you can see that centre-offs are organising in front of them and they're getting the players in the positions that, that they need to be able to, like I said before, not to be able to do any work themselves. So, I, And when I go to, obviously, Premier League, or well, when I go to watch Newcastle and you watch the opposition, you can see that. You can see the, the centre-offs organising, the goalkeepers getting the players in front of them all organised. And it's, it's great to see because I think that's, for me, it's centre-off. That's one of the, the biggest things, especially now that... You know, you're asking for players to be able to play out from the back. They've got to be able to play out from the back. But when you lose the ball in transition, you've got to be able to get people in positions to be able to defend. And I think that's that's also a good thing too. How important was playing against players like Shearer in training and getting exposed to that level of competition during the week? Or even with, with Drogba and Phoenix now, do you see the young players benefiting from that? Oh, 100%. I mean... You know, Didier was. I mean, going back to Al, he was he was brilliant. He he trained, or he played how he trained, or he trained how he played. Sorry, I should say he was. You know, I was a young kid coming up, and you know, I was ta- I wasn't taking it easy, but I wasn't going into challenges. Even you know, I you know yourself. You like you sometimes you pull out of things, and he he pulled me at one side and said, "Don't ever do that to me again." I was like, "Well, what do you mean?" He said, "Don't ever pull out of a tackle again." He says, "Because if you pull out of a tackle, I might be able. To, I don't work my touch as hard as I have to do when I've got." Emmanuel Vidic or Tony Adams, you know, coming up, firing through the back of him on a Saturday. So he was he was big on that, and that and that was my first real experience of uh, of training like that, you know, at, at, at that kind of intensity. And then I fast forward sort of fifteen years on, and Didier Drogba's still doing the same, you know, still demanding the same um, from the young kids that we've had at, at Phoenix. He's he's demanding. You know the expectations of a of a Premier League star, an international quality star, and in, in training, never mind in games, um, and it's it's great, and I loved it, and I and that's how I was brought up with from from Alan Irvine, and you know obviously Alan had a bit of a relationship with with Alan too, and their back Blackburn connection, so it was it was good to be exposed to that and learn and learn that you know every day you're learning, and every day you've got to try and take something away from a training session. Uh, and that was a big thing that I've learned, you know, 15 years from the first time that I was exposed to it. How different is defending in the US than it is in England? Um, yeah, it's different. I mean, there's not, with all due respect over here, there's not the quality of, of forwards. You know, you might get two or three chances to your one in England. Um, the defending is, it's a big part of the thing. It's, it's for, for us and for me. These guys, I'm trying to get these guys up to the highest level they can possibly be. Now that might be that what they where they are now at the USL. So I'm trying to make give them the best opportunity to have a career. Um, 
the and defending is a big part of winning over here. You know, you look at we're trying to you know put some stats together for the guys coming in for next season, and you know we kept uh, joint highest amount of clean sheets last season. But the games that we conceded, if you take sort of them clean sheets away, you know, on average, we, the, the games that we conceded we were, were almost two goals a game. So, you know, that's something that we're trying to rectify. And Because um, if we don't keep clean sheets, then we seem to be conceding bucket loads of goals. So it's, it's something that we need to learn to to improve. Um, and it's 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 a big it's a big thing in in America. And I think, you know, it's it's not just defending, but I think it's the system that the U.S. has that, um, a lot of college or pre-college football players, you know, get an education, then go to the college system for four years. So then when they come back into the programme, they're, they're 21, 22, 23 year old. Well, you know, some guys over in England have played two, 300 games by then. You know, he looks at like the Raheem Sterling. I think I've seen a stat or Wilfred Zaha has played three, 300 game for, for Palace and he's 25 or something like that. Well, Twenty-five-year-old American defenders haven't played three hundred games, you know, by the time they're twenty-five. So, it's like I said, to be able to to give them that education, not from a defensive point uh, standpoint, but from an overall, is I think it's going to be key to the US going forward. I was talking to a coach last week, and he was moaning about coaches making defensive exercises too easy, defending sessions too easy uh, for the defenders. Um, yeah, how do you like to challenge your? You're back four in trainings. I used to love it, to be honest with you. It was, whilst everybody was trying to do, you know, crossing and shooting, I was the one asking to go in and defending. I wanted to start, I wanted to, uh, excuse the French, but I wanted to piss the forwards off. I didn't want them to score. I wanted to keep clean sheets. I was always brought up in that. And I often try to, you know, work, we kind of work forwards and then work back kind of. I, I kind of like doing the old whole part whole kind of working the back four, then going into individual stuff and then going back into a back four. And it's always with kind of an overload. Um, so you're really, you're really tested. Um, but I mean, it's, it's different because when I was at Newcastle, you know, there was, it's, it's, you're working with kids. So you kind of have to break things down on an individual basis. We'll come over here and it's, an, it's kind of senior football and, and you know, Rick's like the manager. He's a he loves goals. He loves tack and flowing football. And you know, he's always shoving overloads against you know like four v twos or five v threes or six v whatever. It's it's always an overload. But I always I love that for our defenders because it's getting challenged. Um, and it's about the guys being able to cope with that kind of thing. So when you are got three and four, well, you're all four v four or five v five or six v six that it kind of becomes easy. And for me as well, again, going back to the communication side of things, this, it works on that. It works on, you know, you're demanding that extra yard from your opposite, your other centre-off to go and defend or block the shot or stop the cross. You know, the goalkeeper being a massive component in that, helping the three that's, you know, overloaded in front of them to be, you know, to give him the best opportunity to make a save. Um, so again, I'd... I'd I've never been a fan of making it easy for the defenders. I often think it should try and make it easy for the, the attackers so the defenders work harder. What's your thoughts on heading? How important is it in today's game? Uh, I, it's, I think it's massive. You know, I watch, uh, you know, now you look at the stat of set-piece goals um, and how vital they have become in games. And 
is that because we've gone away from the old-fashioned again, used the likes of Tony Adams and Nemanja Vidic, who just used to love sticking their head on uh, on the end of things, whether it be defending, attacking. They just love to head the ball, and I did too. And I think it's a massive thing that we need to kind of bring back into the game. But I also see, you know, it's not just heading it to heading away. Can we, you know, for me, I'm I'm looking at my defenders if, you know, from a long goal kick, can we make the header pass? So I'm actually not just heading it back into play or whatever. I'm actually trying to find somebody with a with your head. Um, so I think it's 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 a vital part of the game that you, we need to bring back and work on. And I'm trying to do so with my defenders is that, you know, yes, there's a time for heading with height and distance to quote an old phrase, but I'm also looking kind of cushion one down to my left back to be able to play out and, and start an attack. Particularly as teams counter-press is such a big thing now because you, you've got to not only win the ball in the air, but you've got to beat the counter-press, the next ball that's coming in because you don't want to defend the next ball twice, right? Correct. I mean, you watch, the watch like, say, I mean, I'm a massive, excuse me, massive fan of Man City at the minute, just not obviously because they're uh, winning everything, but because of the way they play and a big part of that is that is is because of the way Edison uses the ball at his feet and, you know, we're clipping up stuff for, for our team and I'm watching Edison playing 60-yard passes you know, and putting people through like the one the other day for Mares mm. uh, when he came on. Now, for me as a defender, as that ball is going over my head, I'm not just trying to head it. Can I get myself in a position? Because, like you said, to try and you know beat the first press to to so we can then counter their counter, so to speak. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not just head and height and distance, is it? Can I can I head my ball back to the recovering midfield player or? head it back over the forward to the recovering fullback to begin a, a counter-attack ourselves. And I think that's where we kind of lose sight of uh, of being able to, to head the ball properly. Last one for you. The defender of tomorrow, you've got an under-12 coach, you know, who wants to develop players and we all want to develop the Messi, but you know, it might, might be worthwhile putting up, investing a bit more time in a back four. Um, yeah. where, where would you say, you know, because everyone... People look for different things, strength, speed, decision-making. Where would you say that, that the youth coach should be looking at? Uh, again, I go back to it. It's, I, I think, personally, it's trying to produce a footballer. You know, the 12-year-old, just producing them to be able to play 12-year-old at, at, at centre-half, but then 14 at, at centre-forward or left wing. You know, I'm a big... My def- I want my defenders to be able to play. You know, we're, we're big on trying to play out from the back, so... You know, and again, I go back to the Man City mantra. I watch them, and you got players interchanging in different positions. The way they rotation from, you know, defence to midfield players. You've got guys being able to, you know, doubt, uh, Fabian Delph. One week he's playing left back, the next week he's playing centre midfield player, and that's what I would like my under twelve to be. Um, you know, Phoenix Rising are starting to get there, uh, or are looking into the youth side of things. We're we're coupling up with a, a, a youth program in here and. And we're going out. We're going out for, uh, for a meeting with them tomorrow, and that's going to be our big, um, our big kind of topic. That we're, you know, you're not just producing centre halves, right backs, left backs. You're producing footballers, and and that's for me as a, as a youth coach is what we need to, or we should be trying to to produce. And I think the better, the better football players you you produce is going to be, you know, down the line you're going to have better teams. Quality, and then the bonus question: best centre forward you came up against. I got asked this the other day, actually, it was funny enough, and <clears throat> probably one of the best is for a number of reasons, well, there's two that have come up against is, is Thierry Henry 
at Arsenal. I, I'm fortunate to play against him on two occasions, and he was just absolutely electrifying um, in so many different ways. Big, strong, powerful, good in the air. You know, good with both feet. Um, I played against him when I was at right back, and then I played against him when I was at left back, and you know, both times he he really gave me one of my biggest tests and the other one was it was Wayne Rooney um a, a kind of a similar in terms of pace and power but a different kind of a different kind of center forward but them two were were the two standouts for me and and probably the two that have or two of the modern era anyway two of the greatest not bad that Rooney and Terry on me Top class. Peter, thanks so much. This was brilliant. No, thank you for having me, Gary. It's been a been a pleasure to talk to you. Thanks so much to Peter for his time and his insight there. I hope you enjoyed it as much as I did. A couple of takeaways for me. Firstly, that attention to detail. We talk a lot about it from a coaching point of view and how important it is from a coach. But I think awareness and attention to detail from a player's perspective is just vital in the development phase. And when... He said there that, you know, when Graham Soonis moved him from one position to the other, he said, I had to do it and I had to do it quickly if I was to stay in the first team. And I look at development from a player's aspect and I always think that when they're presented with the feedback or they're presented with areas that they can improve on, there's never that urgency or there's rarely that urgency to get better tomorrow. And, and I think that's so, so important that we've got to start communicating to the players that there is a window here where they have to make those progressions in their game. Otherwise, the game moves on and levels move on and they may not get to where they want to go. So I think it's interesting when you talk to the players who have been on the podcast that have played at the top level, there's always that awareness of where they need to go and what they need to do to get there. And then the willingness and the determination to do that right away rather than saying, well, in the new year or next season, I'm going to get better at this here. And then the other part for me was the communication piece. And it's the other way around again. Again, we usually talk about it from a coaching perspective, but how important it is for players. And the thing that stood out for me was how Peter saw that as an opportunity where he could set himself apart from other players. And he said that it you know, managers brought him into their team because of his ability to communicate better. And it is so competitive and so difficult for young players now to break in at these levels. The elite level of everything is so, so competitive. So maybe instead of coaches saying that, you know, they need to improve their communication, maybe come from a different angle and say, well, if you can get it to to better than X, Y, and Z, then there might be an opening from you. And this may be an X factor that that gives you an opening that someone else might not get. So I thought that was, again, high level of awareness and has also his insight from the decision-making and the, the training side. I really, really enjoyed. So thanks so much to Peter. I thought that was outstanding. Would love to know your thoughts, as always, at Gary Kernin on Twitter, at Gary Kernin on Instagram. Let me know what you enjoyed, what stood out for you, things you agreed with, maybe things you didn't agree with as well. Uh, all good um, and again that was part of the coaching corner so we've got quite a few of these coming up and they're all part of the launch for my new book coaching your 433 designed to challenge coaches to work around their philosophies and what they are passionate about in the game rather than just copying a different coaches plans and different coaches work and that is available on modernsoccercoach.com so thanks so much for listening have a great week bye Thank you for listening to the Modern Soccer Coach Podcast. 
For more coaching topics, sessions, and resources, head on over to Coach Kernine on Facebook or visit the website at www.modernsoccercoach.com. 